Hey, welcome home. Good to see you. Yeah. Yeah, good to see you too, Tom. <laughs> We're just rocking it today. That's great. Um, happy Father's Day. Um, Luke 15, that's where we're going to be. Um, while you're turning there, who has special plans for Father's Day? Yeah, didn't think so. Um, <laughs> that's how it goes. Um, actually, uh, this morning, uh, you know, it is Father's Day. We, we, we we're glad for that. Uh, couldn't find you something Christian and kitschy like a, like a pocket knife with the Lord's Prayer on it or says cut somebody for Jesus. I couldn't find it, so... We decided on bacon and a glimpse at the Father's heart. So that's what you got. Uh, as Matt said, uh, we can't say this enough. Uh, we believe biblically, um, win the young men, win the fathers, win the brothers, win the family, win the city, win the college, win the world. Okay? Mothers, daughters, very important, indispensable role. Guys, we need you. We need you. Interesting that we have some seats. Uh, actually, Father's Day is the least church-attended Sunday uh, of the year. Uh, thought you thought you'd like to know that. Um, so we're gonna we're gonna shift that. Dad, you are so important. We want to build you up. We want to encourage you. Um, who got underwear today? Yeah, yeah. Happy Father's Day, sponsored by Fruit of Loom. Here's your tidy whities See you next year. That's what we do. Okay, uh, Luke 15. Luke 15. This is the first week of a powerful new series called My Life Story. I want to just, just, just uh, point out the new the bulletins. Now, uh, Ryan Wright, who is be- behind all those monitors making wonderful things happen, he's designed this and, and all of our stuff. It, it's just beautiful. We praise God for you, brother. I mean, I almost, you know, you want to do a scratch and sniff on this. It looks so leathery, okay? Now, uh, this series is going to take us through most of July. It's called My Life Story. Uh, what it is is a selection of stories that Jesus told and uh, that many of us will be familiar with. Now, here's the challenge. If you're one of those people who are familiar with these stories, here's what the challenge is, is going to be. There's going to be an urge in you to say, been there, read that, got the Iwana badge, Right? And what you, what, you, what you can't do, what you and I can't do is, is not afford to take another look as if for the first time. Um, because if you're anything like me, there is so much more uh, to these stories than maybe um, we've been living out or understanding or uh, informing our concept of the world, of the gospel. So uh, that's what we want to do in these stories. Jesus is going to reveal what our hearts are, what his heart is, and the next chapter that he wants to write in our life story. Um, Are you ready for it? That's the question. So uh, all of these are going to be gospel-centered, Christ-centered, perfect time for you to invite a friend, a family member who needs the blessing of, of new life, of encouragement. Uh, so I'll be standing at the door. we got these invitation cards that, that uh, Ryan made. And it's just, a, it's just a way to say, come, get blessed. Um, and uh, we want you to do that. So great. Uh, the title of this message is Prodigal God. Now, uh, right from the kickoff, I want to tell you uh, that I've learned so much uh, about uh, the, 
this passage and the gospel from the ministry and the writings of Tim Keller. He is a pastor uh, in New York City. Uh, he's written a book called Prodigal God, and a lot of the teachings, a lot of the wisdom uh, that, that I'm going to share with you uh, comes not only from Scripture, but his, his understanding of Scripture. So I highly recommend uh, that you pick that up. It's called Prodigal God, and, uh, and that gets us to the word prodigal. Now, prodigal is, not, prodigal is not a word that you and I use very much anymore. So um, growing up, I heard this story of the prodigal son, and it saw what he did. And so I thought prodigal meant, um, you know, wild, drunken, orgy, partying dude. Now, if you're a fundamentalist and you've just got chest pains, breathe. Breathe. It doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean that. What prodigal does mean, if you look it up, is recklessly extravagant. Recklessly extravagant. Lavish. Having spent it all. It can describe some of your trips to the mall, ladies. Uh, Being recklessly extravagant, lavish, having spent it all. And so what we see is that doesn't necessarily describe the son in the story, but the father. Okay? So we're going to look at that. Um, And uh, we don't use the prodigal to just describe the son. It's important as we look at our Bibles to know that the authentic, the original scriptures don't give the the different headings within the chapters. That was put in there for us to help find our way. And so it's be called the prodigal son, but we can see that it's also applying to the father. It could be called the two lost sons. We're going to take a look at that. Um, We're going to see why it does describe a God in the heart of a God who is recklessly extravagant with love, with grace, with mercy, with welcome, with provision. It's wonderful, and we're going to see why we're so glad that it does describe him. Okay? Um, We're going to pray. We're going to uh, read the entire passage, and then we're going to look deeper at it. Let's pray. Lord, this is so far above my head um, because you have so far to bring me in, in my understanding, my grasp of your greatness and your gospel. Lord, uh, I believe there are many here uh, who join me in saying, um, we just want to see you. We want, uh, we want you to come, Lord, and open our eyes, open our hearts, give us ears to hear. We want to be changed by your love, by your mercy, by your grace. Uh, we want a real vibrant relationship with you, Jesus, and we want to walk out of here changed people. Thank you for this time. We love being together in your word, in your spirit, and watching your work. So thank you. We get to do it again, and we give you all the praise in in Jesus' beautiful name. Amen. Okay, now let's read the passage. We're in Luke 15. Um, We have a setup in verses 1 and 2. We're going to pick it up there. I'm going to comment a little on verses 1 and 2, and then we'll go through the whole story, and then we'll talk about it, okay? So here's the setup, because the context of this story is, is absolutely essential for us to interpret it correctly, for us to understand it correctly, apply it correctly. Here it is, verse 1, chapter uh, 15. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were also, were all drawing near to him. Okay, stop there. Stop there. Now, who's him? Drawing near to him. Who's him? Okay, we'll start off simple. Yes, it's Jesus. It's Jesus. And who is drawn to him? Who is running to him? Here's the answer. Here's the answer. Who wants to be near him? The tax collectors and the sinners. Do you get this? This is like a general term. 
a catch-all phrase for scumbags, okay? Tax collectors and the sinners, the, the, the outcasts, the, the people that religious people love to hate, okay? The people that religious people think are what's the problem with our churches, what's the problem with our families, what's the problem with our cities, the college, the, the country, the world. Those people are running to Jesus. Why? Because in him they find something that they don't find anywhere else. Okay? Love, acceptance, joy, hope, and the promise of a new life. Right? They find that, and so they flock to him. They're running to him. These people are every kind of broken, addicted, jacked up, messed up. Here's what we used to in New Orleans call a bag of troubles. That's what they are running to Jesus. We'll see this throughout the Bible, throughout uh, his earthly ministry. They are flocking to him. Here's the question. Here's the question. These same people who are the brokenest of the broken, who were running to Jesus, are the very people who are now running away from the church. Why is that? Maybe, maybe we're misrepresenting Jesus too often. Corporately and individually. Tim Keller, who wrote Prodigal God, wrote this. If our churches are not appealing to the younger brother in the story, then they must be more full of older brothers than we'd like to think. Ouch. Ouch. Jesus is saying, following me is not religion. Following me is not morality. Following me is not what you think it is. It's something entirely different. And before you decide to visit another church next week, um, let's get on to verse 2. Verse 2, here we go. Get your hands off the email. Um, And the Pharisees and the scribes. Okay, first group. First group. The worst of the worst. Okay, here we go. Verse 2, who's the other group? The Pharisees and the scribes, the religious people, grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Yeah, and so do we right here. God bless you, pass the bacon. That's right. That's right. That's right. Now, these staunchly religious people are absolutely ticked off because Jesus is, is hanging out with immoral people the same people they wouldn't be caught dead with, and they're murmuring, they're grumbling. This Jesus, he can't be God because if he was God, he'd be smart enough to despise them just like we do, right? I mean, Jesus, God, can't possibly love the very people who shatter every commandment that he's ever laid out. He couldn't possibly love them. Oh, really? Don't bet on it. Don't bet on it. Don't touch God by what the church does, necessarily. He's crazy in love with these people. Two groups. You have two groups. Who do they represent? Two ways of being alienated from God. Two different ways, two opposite ways, if you will, but they have a lot in common. We're going to see that. Of being alienated from God. One is called rebellion, and the other is called religion. Okay? Rebellion and religion. You got two groups. You've also just met the two sons in the story. Okay, let's read on. Listen closely because there's a lot more here than you may imagine. We're going to start in verse 11. And Jesus said, There was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me 
the share of the property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, other, other translations say, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion. And he ran and embraced him and he kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For my son was dead and is now alive again. He was lost and he's found and they began to celebrate. And now his older son was in the field. And he came and he drew to the ho- near to the house and he heard the music and he saw the dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked him, what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come for your father has killed the fatted calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and he refused to go in. And his father came out and entreated him, begged him. And he, he answered his father, look, these many years I've served you and I never disobeyed your command. And yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed a fattened calf for him. And then the father said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting for me to celebrate and be glad for this. Your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost, and now he's found. So Jesus tells a story. Jesus tells a story and hidden in this story is the heart of God, the heart of the gospel, the secret to following God by following Jesus Christ. In this story, Jesus is taking two spiritual paths, two very common spiritual paths that were common 2,000 years ago, just as common today, two ways of that people latch on to as a way of, of relating to God, of being able to find purpose and happiness and joy and meaning in their lives, uh, to have true relationship one with another, whether that be marriage or, or friendships or anything, and work through the problems of this life. Two spiritual paths. One, through finding your own way, independence, rebellion against God, right? Making your own way. And the other, is religion. 
is religion. And what Jesus is saying that is shocking to both groups is you're both wrong. You're both wrong. Following me is something entirely different. It is something entirely different. Okay, um, we're going to move on. Um, If this parable was a play, it would have two acts, right? Uh, The first act would be uh, the younger son, and the second act would be the older son. So we're going to start with act one. Excuse me. What's going on here? Uh, The younger brother goes to his father. He says what? Let's look at verse uh, 12. The son says, and the younger of them, the younger son said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. Father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. Now, he just dissed his father. This is horribly offensive. Absolutely horribly offensive. This is more offensive than being on the cell phone with somebody and hearing in the phone a toilet flush in the background. More offensive than that. This is horribly offensive. Why? Because when he says, Father, give me my share of the property that is coming to me, he's not asking for a couple of weeks, a couple of months, a couple of years of allowance in advance. What he's saying is, give me my inheritance. And when do you get your inheritance? When the Father kicks off. Father, my life is going to be better when you're dead than when you're alive. So I want to act like that's happened now. I want you to give me what's coming to me when you're dead. How offensive is this? I'm in this relationship with you, he's saying, not for you, but for your stuff. So give me your stuff and leave me alone. Wow. Now, the only thing more shocking than this request is the father's reaction, is the father's answer to this request. Now, the father doesn't say, doesn't say, oh, really? No, he would have every right to drive him out of town, right? To, to say, you're no longer part of this family. I'm going to start treating you like a son when you start acting like a son. No. We see the prodigal God. We see the extravagant grace. We see the extravagant love that says, you don't determine whether or not I love you. You can act like I'm dead. You can ignore me. You can offend me. You can want my stuff more than you want me. Guess what? I still love you. I still love you. I still love you. He doesn't say, are you out of your mind? Now, my father, my father would have spent the next two days trying to remove his size 11s from my crack pipe, if you know what I mean. Do you know? Or, or for those of you who are like PC parents, he would have given me a timeout, a very long timeout, till I was 40. Right? But not this father. What does he say? What does he say? He gives it to him, and he divided his property between them. Easier said than done. So let's take a look at what has to happen. Now, the older son back then would have gotten twice the inheritance of the younger son. That's how it goes, okay? 
Um, so it's a two-thirds, one-third kind of thing. The father would have to take a third of his cash, a third of his livestock and sell it, a third of his land and property and sell it, all of his belongings, a third of that, and sell it so he could give this to the son. That's exactly what the son was asking for, right? Now, it's, it's even more than it sounds because in that time, uh, a man's property, a man's land was, was part of who he was. Your status, your influence, your reputation in the community, in the church, uh, was largely determined by your land holdings, by how much livestock and cattle. So what he's saying is, I will diminish my reputation. I will diminish my riches because I love you, even in your rebellion. Okay, we see the prodigal generosity of the father heart of God. The father heart of God. So, so you who uh, uh, grew up in church, who, who, are, who are saying, if I have five quiet times before breakfast, if I never miss a Sunday, if I do this, do this, do this, don't do this, um, then God will bless me. The heart of God wants to bless you regardless. He loves you regardless. You can't earn his love. You can't obey his love. He loves you. Now, you should do a lot of those things. Obedience is a great and, and, and wonderful thing we're called to. But God's love is not dependent upon it. And something. To, so he goes off. The father, before we do that, I want, to, I want you to see the father... When his love of his son is rejected, what do we do? What do we do? We become angry, right? The best of us fathers, the best of us parents, the best of us friends, when our love is rejected and we are offended and disrespected and rejected, totally rejected, we become angry and we want, we're going to pay him back, right? Or at very least, we will diminish our heart affection to this person so that it hurts less. He's not doing that. He's pressing into the love, even though it will hurt him more when his son leaves. And that's exactly what happens. So the younger son is now rich. He immediately takes off. Um, and he spends it all. He spends it all. Uh, the scripture calls it reckless living. Reckless living. Okay, let's unpack that a little bit. Uh, I want you to picture um, Harold and Kumar go to White Castle meets the hangover. Okay, something like that. That's what's going on here. That's what the younger son goes and does. Okay, uh, we, we don't need to go any further about that. Younger son is doing, what is he doing? He is independent. He has this conviction that a better life is somewhere other than where the father is. Right, he's going to a foreign land, right, uh, 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 somewhere away from home, because the father is keeping him from the life he really deserves, from the life that is going to give him the most freedom, the most joy, the most uh, real life, the most uh, love, all of it, all of it. So it sounds like he's coming to Western as a freshman. Right? Yeah. Uh, before you laugh too much, it sounds also like he's going on the foreign language trip uh, to Europe in the high school in his junior year. Um, it sounds to me like he's going on a co-ed camp out in the high school. Ouch. Just keeping it real, dog. Right? 
Now, I don't mean to get in your business, but I mean to get in your business, okay? Because he misunderstood something that many of us misunderstand, and it leads us into destructive, destruction in our hearts, in our relationships, in our lives, and in our practices. The son is blind in a blindness that, that, that many of us have, and here it is. This essentially describes maybe 90% of, of the sin in, in some of our lives. Um, I need to get away. I need something apart from God. I need something in a different place so I can be free, so I can be happy. When every word of God, when the Spirit of God, when it presses on you, when every calling of Jesus is so that you can enter into freedom and joy and happiness and, and, and forgiveness and, and provision, everything is to lead you into life and the person, the young man, the young woman, the, the old man, the old woman, everybody in between that he created you to be. Every command of God is because of his love and he's trying to lead you into the universe in the way that he created it. Not to lead you away from those things. Not to lead you away from those things. The only thing God wants to take away from you is that thing that will eventually destroy you. And you think about the besetting sin in your life and how many times does the unspoken rationale behind that become God seems to think he knows what makes me happy. But I'm going to go do this somewhere else where people can't see me, where I think real happiness exists, where I think real freedom exists. I can't tell you how full my office is with students who grew up in church, thought they knew what freedom was, thought they knew what joy was, came here to pursue it and found destruction. Happiness that lasts as long as a party or an orgasm. Okay? Don't email me. It's true. It's about time we talk about it. They trade joy and real happiness that lasts forever in the household of God, in God's heart, and in his celebration for a cheap invitation. I'm trying, God says, to call you home, lead you into life, not fake freedom, real freedom. Okay, it's getting quiet here. Let's move on. So things start to go really bad for the younger son. He runs out of money, um, and he might have some hard-to-pronounce diseases to take along with him to souvenirs of his trip. Um, actually, he's left starving, destitute, wishing he could eat pig slop, but he doesn't even get that, and nobody's helping. This is the situation, okay? Now, by the way, this is the best thing that could have happened to him. Best thing that could have happened to him. And, 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 and people are like, gosh, why doesn't God bless me? Even when I'm walking in opposite directions as he is. Well, he is blessing you by letting things go bad. The worst thing that could happen 
is for God to continue to bring into your life things that affirm the choices that are eventually going to destroy you. And, and the worry for, for some of us is that you won't run out of money, that you won't run out of places to go, that you won't run out of, of, of relationship after relationship after relationship, that you won't run out of toy after toy after toy that does do it for you because we're convinced that all we need is more of the thing that doesn't satisfy us right now. We just need more of the same rather than something entirely different. So the worry is not that, that God would bless you, but he, he, lets you, he lets you feel the hunger. He lets you do that. And unless we run out of money, unless we run out of options, unless things hit bottom, um, we may not come home. And he desperately wants you home. Here's the kicker, not just for your own heart, and your own life, but for his. His heart leaps when his babies come home. And I'm not talking about little ones. I'm talking about all of us, this side of the grave. That's what he wants. Okay, let's take a look. 18. 18. Here's what he does. He rehearses his speech, you know. I'm going to need a good speech to go with this. It's heartfelt. And and here's what he writes out for himself. I will arise and go to my father. I'm going to say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Don't belong in your family. Don't deserve it. I'm not even asking for that. Here's what he's asking for. Treat me as one of your hired servants. Not only do I not, I'm not worthy to be in your family. I'm not even worthy to be one of your house servants, the ones who wait at your table and live in the guest quarters in the house. I want to be one of your hired servants, one of your tradespeople who comes in in the morning, does their job, gets paid, and then goes back to the city where they live. I think that's even a stretch. I'm not worthy of that, right? That's what he's saying. The son does not understand the depth of the father's love. He still thinks it needs to be earned somehow, right? Because he's thinking that restoration to his former status as son in good standing is is impossible, And he's got to do something. He's got to do something to earn that. So he's saying, here's the deal. Here's a bargain. I'll take the lowest rung, the lowest place, just so I can be near you part of the day. And he doesn't realize the depth, the prodigal nature, the extravagant richness, the reckless spending of the Father in terms of grace and love and acceptance and restoration. He doesn't get that. So what happens next? The Father is waiting The father is waiting at the end of the driveway, looking for his boy, hoping and praying. He's waiting maybe for years. Every day he's consumed. He's at the edge of his property. And and he's looking down the road, dreaming of the day that he might see the faint outline. And here's the day. And he sees somebody coming in the distance and, and immediately something clicks within him because he's memorized the shape of his son. He has pictured this moment. He's pictured his love for his boy all that time. The prodigal nature of his long-suffering love, it will wait for years, for decades, for a lifetime. He wants you home that bad. He wants you home that bad. 
and, and, and you go, if you click on a TV, and you click on, and he says, well, God is, God is tired, and your chance to come home is, is past, and you've done too much bad for too long. Don't you believe it? What Jesus was unpacking about the heart of God is he's always at the edge of the property and he's looking and he's hoping and he's longing and he sees his son and he can almost, he, as a father, I think he can almost not believe it. He, he's rubbing his eyes and what does he do? What does he do? He's so overcome with compassion. The Bible says, my boy is coming home. My boy is coming home. And what does he do? Let's take a look. Verse 20, this is, this is beautiful. And he arose and came to his father, that's his son, but while he was still a long way off. He's a spot in the distance. He's just started to come home. What happens? His father saw him. He was moved with compassion. He felt compassion and he ran and embraced him and he kissed him. Let's take a look at this. He ran. He ran now. In that time, in that time, patriarchs, the father of the family, does not run. Okay? Young men might run. Girls and women might run. Fitness freaks like you might run. The dad did not run. You didn't think I was that biblical, did you? <laughs> he ran. To run, he would have to hike up his robes, exposing his lower leg, which a man, a father of the family, did not do. He is saying, I am abandoning whatever anybody would think of me, whatever my reputation is. I don't care. I don't care. The best thing in the world has just happened to my boy, and the best thing in the world has just happened to me. He's coming home, and he runs, and he runs to him. Oh, He's a nobleman and he runs. And the father, what does he do? What does he do? He runs and embraces him. He hugs the breath out of him and he kisses him. He can't stop pouring out affection. It's like when his son was a baby and he would kiss his face all over the place and there was nothing the son could do about it. That's what he's doing. And, and dads, dads, I, I just want to take a time out here. Be affectionate to your children. Be affectionate to your children. Well, I'm not affectionate to my children. I don't, I don't want to raise no fairies. <laughs> I kiss my son every time he's in the same time zone with me. And he can kick any of your butts. <laughs> you hug your kids. You embrace your kids. You show them their, oh, he knows he knows I punch him in the shoulder and knee him in the nuts when I try and tell him I love him. He understands that. He doesn't understand that. And unless he gets that at home, he's going to find it somewhere else. That's just not how I am. When were you and I called to show anybody who we really are? We're called. To show our kids, to show our wives who Jesus is, what the heart of the Father is. Some of you, Father's Day is brutal. It's brutal because you've been hurt, neglected, abused in ways that 
just would break your heart. Because you have a dad that, that fell down on the job. You have a father who wants to embrace you and kiss your whole face and say, this is the best thing. This is the best thing that could ever happen to me. My child is is home. He's home. I want you to take a look at this. The father is prodigal with his affection. The father is prodigal with his grace. He does this before the son has a chance to get out his whole speech. He does this before the boy can begin to clean up his life. He does this before he can make any changes. As you are now, as you are right now, the father longs to welcome you, to embrace you, to kiss you, and, the, and to welcome you home and shower you with the love and the feast of his presence. And so many times the church says, clean up your act and then you can come home. You act like we act. You dress like we dress. You vote like we vote. You clean your act up, then you come home. His son stinks. His son hasn't done anything. And he's saying, let's throw a party. I love you so much just in the condition you are right now. Okay, what does he say? Oh, he said, uh, 21, a son says to him, Father, sin against heaven before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. The father interrupts him. You know, he won't even let him get the whole speech out. Father said to his servants, now I, I, I bring the best robe. I want, you to, I want you to see this. Now the father has taken off down the road. And now he's with his son down the road and he's talking to his servants. So something has happened here, right? Uh, let's look. Are you catching this? Who's the father? He's speaking to his servants. They're running after him. You know what I mean? He's like, can you picture it? It's like, dude, dude, the old, old man master is running. Are you getting this? The old man's The old man's got wheels. He's legit. Come on. So they're running after him. Once they need, you getting this on your iPhone? We got to put this on YouTube. This is incredible. The old man is running. So when they get there, he says, Servants, they're there with him. Bring the best robe. Who does the best robe belong to? The father. Do you get this? The son, in all of his filth, in all of his sin, in all of his wreckedness, doesn't get the hired servant outside the, the compound. He doesn't get the house servant. He doesn't get just restored to son in good standing. The, the father says, bring the best robe Dress him up like me. He gets elevated. That's what God does. That's the heart of the Father. He is extravagant with his grace. He is extravagant with his forgiveness. He didn't just wipe the slate clean. He puts himself on it and says, I'm crediting that to you. I'm dressing you up. All Christ has done is now to your credit. All that you've done is on the cross. It's paid for. It's away. That's grace. That's love. That is reckless extravagance on behalf of God. And we're so glad it is. Okay. Moving on. You ever seen anything like this? What's the father say 
bring the best robe and put him out him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and killed it. Let's eat and let's celebrate. He is pulling out all the stops. You don't kill the fatted calf for your family because it's too big. It's too big. It's for the whole city. He's throwing a party so that everybody knows. Everybody come. The best thing in the world has just happened. Kobe beef and Dom Perignon. That's what we're having. We spare no expense. We're having a celebration. It is going to be a party like you've never seen. Not only is this the best decision he could make for his life, he's giving me the best Father's Day present of all. He's coming home to where I can love him, to where I can set him truly free, to where I can bless him, to where I can give him the life that he thought existed somewhere else, doing something else. When it's always been here, when it's always been here with me, and he doesn't say, son... Thomas Francis Burgraff Jr. They say the full name, including the middle name. Whenever they're, where have you been? You got some explaining to do. I'm happy you're home, but man, you're going to have to work through this. No, that's what we do. I want to know where you've been. I want to know what you've done and who you've done it with. I want to know how long you, you got some trust to earn. You got some love to earn. You're in the house, but you're in the doghouse. Nope. Come home. Wear my robe. Feast at my table. That's the grace of God. For my son was dead. He's alive again. He was lost and is found. And they begin to celebrate. Come home. The father misses you so. What's going on here? Has anybody ever celebrated over you like that, especially when you were at your worst? That's the heart of God. Before we start the party here, because that can happen this morning, I want to take a look at what's really happening. 2 Corinthians 5, second half of the 20th verse and the 21st verse. Paul's writing to the Corinthian church. He says this, we implore you. We beg you in the strongest way possible on behalf of Christ. It's really Jesus begging you, pleading with you through us. Be reconciled to God. Come home. Come home. Come home. For our sake, he made him to be sin. Who's he talking about? Jesus, that's the answer. Come on. I'm giving you the answer before you get. Talking about Jesus. He made Jesus to be sin, who knew no sin. He came. He was the Christian you cannot be. He was the father you cannot be. He was the son, the daughter, the mother, the husband, the child you cannot be. And he took all the things that we are on the cross, in our place, for our sins, and credited to us his righteousness. He took the worst of who we are and give us the best of who he is. And Paul says, be reconciled to God and come home. Jesus is the invitation. Jesus is the road that leads back to the Father. Jesus is the one. He made him who knew no sin, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Jesus we might become the righteousness of God. On the cross, Jesus became all that. 
and he's calling you home. Some of you this morning, God has broken through your defenses and shown you his love despite what you've done to ignore and reject him, despite the fact that some of us have loved his stuff more than him, despite the fact that we have, some of us ignored him and and preferred to treat him like he was dead, like he doesn't exist. But you know now, through his word and through his spirit, that he loves you so very much that the father is at the end of the driveway, that Jesus is out there inviting, come home to real life, real love, real freedom, real grace, a real future, and new life. It doesn't matter what you've done. The father didn't even ask. All that mattered was his child was home. And that made him pull out all the stops because his heart was full. His son's heart was full. And he lavished affection. He lavished his material things. He lavished his heart and his grace. Has anybody ever celebrated over you like that? At your worst. That can happen this morning. That can happen this morning. He was embraced by his love, entered into the feast and his plan for your life. Come to their senses and follow Jesus home to the Father who has not been received in exactly this way. When you see how it's going to end, what could ever keep you from coming home? Act 2 is what this story is really about. And we're going to look at that next week. It will rock your world. It is still rocking mine. If you dare, come. There's a new chapter for the church people. And there's a new chapter for people who've been hurt by church people. We're going to pray. You respond to the call of God on your heart. Come home. He'll embrace you. He'll lavish affection and grace on you. We'll celebrate. Let's pray. Father, I, I thank you. Lord, you are prodigal. You are recklessly extravagant, spending it all for your great love, despite how we've responded to it. 